Morning, City Light. Morning. How's everybody doing today? Good. As uh, Jason mentioned, my name is Chuck, and I'm one of the pastors at City Light. And, uh, you know, there's a little thing. I'm, I'm a little bit older than Jason, and you guys know Eric. Um, I'm not near as smooth as they are. Um, I have a lot less hair than they do. And I'm, uh, I'm still working on trying to be hip and cool as they are, you know. So for whatever reason, these guys let me on the team. And uh, I say it all the time that it's a, it's a privilege to be in this thing called church planting with um, Eric and Jason and Doug, who you guys may not know as well as Eric and Jason, but it's a privilege to be in this thing called church planting with them. Uh, let's get started this morning. Um, I love the fall time. You guys love the fall time. I mean, we've actually been able to enjoy some of the fall this last week or so and been able to get out and enjoy some of the colors and uh, enjoy some of the things that fall has to offer. I like fall for several different reasons. Number one, it's the, uh, it's the football season, right? I mean, we're at the uh, kind of the apex of football season, and uh, I like it because, you know, you see the farmers bringing, gathering in the crops from the field, and uh, it's also a time when some of our new, some of those new episodes and some of our favorite TV shows are released. You know, I enjoy that. Um, it's also a time when networks tend to take a little bit of a risk, and they put new TV shows out. Now, I'm not sure if you've seen it or not, but there's a new show out called God Friended Me. Have you guys heard of it? All right, so the premise of this, um, of this uh, show is interesting. Uh, it's about this main character. His name is uh, Miles, and he's an atheist that lives in New York City. He's in his 20s, and he's an amateur podcaster, and he works for this identity theft protection company. Now, he starts receiving um, these friend requests from someone that identifies themselves as God. Well, being odd that he's an atheist getting a friend request from God, he consistently deletes these things, but God is persistent, and so finally, uh, Miles accepts these, this friend request from God. After he accepts these friend requests, he begins to get these uh, friend suggestions, and uh, the first one that he gets is this guy named John Dove, and as Miles is coming out of a store or something on the street, he bumps into John Dove, drops his phone, and recognizes that it's John Dove because he had just received the friend request or the friend suggestion. So he, John, he sees John's with his girlfriend, and they cross the street, and they're on this corner, and they have this argument. They're having this big debate, and what ends up happening is John's girlfriend breaks up with him. You're supposed to go, oh, let me, let's do it, rewind. Okay, what ends up happening is John's girlfriend breaks up with him. There we go. So he sees John is all upset. John goes down, or, um, uh, yeah, John goes down into the subway, and Miles pursues him down there. After he gets down there, he noticed John is like right on the edge of the subway where the train is coming. The train's coming right at him, and Miles sees what's in John's eyes. He knows that John is about to step off on in the front of this subway train. So just at the last minute, Miles comes up and he grabs John and pulls him away. Well, 
Miles still thinks for some reason that there's some orchestrated, some big grand plan to make him look like an idiot. And so he pursues John and begins to find out what it is that's friending him. Why is this person named God friending him? Basically, the, the question is, what keeps us kind of coming, coming back to this, uh, this show is, is this some elaborate hoax or is God working through Facebook to challenge Miles' unbelief? Now, stick with me here, all right? As silly as it might seem that uh, this show that combines like faith and Facebook, that it might have something relevant to say about what we're talking about this morning, it does. Let me explain to you. In this show, God friends an atheist to save a guy's life. He uses the unlikely to do something that is unexpected. That's what the Bible is teaching us here in Acts chapter 9. Jesus uses the unlikely to do the unexpected. Now, our story doesn't involve an atheist that is on a mission to disprove God. It involves a religious murderer that's on a mission to stamp out the church. Jesus doesn't hide behind the screen of social media. He speaks loudly on the road to Damascus. What happened to Paul, it wasn't some uh, part of some elaborate hoax or maybe a mysterious imposter. It was an encounter with the resurrected Jesus, and it changed the life of the church forever. Now, our story in Acts 9, it starts by introducing us to this guy named Saul, who we find out later in Acts is a Roman citizen, and he's also known by the name of Paul. This is the guy that the Bible says was breathing out threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord. Now, it sounds like an intense dude, right? I mean, probably more intense than Bo Pelini when he coached for Nebraska, wouldn't you say? Interesting enough, this isn't the first time we see this guy named Saul. He's introduced to us a few chapters back when um, this, the first ever deacon, one of the first ever deacons of the church named Stephen, gets murdered. Now, what happens in Acts chapter 6, there's some issues going on with the church, and um, not everybody's needs are being met. And the, the widows in particularly uh, are, of, are in need, and their needs aren't being met. So the church comes to the apostles, and they say, hey, we got some issues, we got to get them resolved. And so what the apostles say is, is choose out from among you seven good men, and we'll make sure that these needs are going to be met. And so one of those men was Stephen. And Stephen goes about doing what the church has empowered him to do. He's preaching and the gospel, and he's taking care of people, caring for people very well. He's serving the church and preaching the gospel, and he finds himself on trial where he does the only thing that makes sense to him. He talks about Jesus. This religious crowd who he is in front of at this time, and who, by the way, was also the same crowd that killed Jesus, they determine that he needs to die by stoning. They get mad, they get upset, and uh, they begin to throw stones at him. One by one by one, stones are being thrown at Stephen, and his body is pummeled with these stones, and they just can't take it anymore. He ends up taking his last breath, his heart beats one last time, and Stephen dies at the hand of this religious crowd. Now, do you know who is standing not too far away 
with their arms folded in pride, giving approval to what's going on at the scene? Yeah. It's our boy named Saul. It's Paul. He's giving a approval to this terrible uh, death scene that was going on with Stephen. That's a little bit of a glimpse into who Saul was. He saw murder as a means to do away with a message that he didn't agree with. Now, he comes back into the story here in Acts chapter 9 where he's armed with warrants to go and arrest Christians, to arrest these people in Damascus who were following the way. Now, that's what, uh, that's what Christians were known as back then. They were known as followers of the way. And Paul's mission was to go to Damascus and, arrested, uh, and arrest anyone who was suspected of being a follower of the way. And if they were uh, lucky enough to escape, they lived. If they weren't, then they were to come back, face a mock trial, and their fate was going to be like that of Stephen, probably getting stoned to death. If there was ever a guy that was a roadblock to church planting and a roadblock to advancing the gospel, it was this guy named Saul. But then Jesus shows up, as we read. Jesus shows up, and he humbles this guy, and he blinds him. And not only does Jesus blind Saul, but he speaks to him. He talks to him, and he tells him in so many words, Saul, stop messing with me. Stop messing with me. Jesus puts Saul in his place. What began as a mission of persecution ended as the conversion of the persecutor. The menace, he becomes the messenger. The um, bounty hunter becomes the liberator. God turned the tables. He did it in Paul's life, and he can do it in yours. Jesus uses the unlikely to do the unexpected. Now, there may be someone in here this morning that say, you might say, I can identify with Paul. I've been there. I'm that guy, or I've been that lady, and I've ridiculed Christians. I've mocked. I've made fun of. I've ridiculed them for years. And can I just say to you this morning that you're here for a reason. Jesus is pursuing you. Yeah, you might be here because somebody invited you, or maybe they expected you to come, but you're here. And just like Jesus did with Saul, he can get your attention, and he can draw you to, to himself, and he can tell you to stop messing with me, join in with me. You might think that you're the least likely person to turn your life over to Jesus this morning, but I'm telling you that if God can save a murderer on his way to commit more murders, he can save you. Jesus uses the unlikely to do the unexpected. Now, our story continues as Paul is led by the, ha uh, by the hand to this house in Damascus, and we're introduced to this guy named Ananias. Now, I think Ananias is a guy that I can totally relate to. I think he's a normal dude, a normal Christian, just kind of doing his thing um, that makes sense. Just kind of being ordinary is what I picture Ananias being, and I can totally relate to that. But I want us to see the, the role that Ananias plays in this unfolding drama of this guy named Saul. So let's, look, let's pick it up in verse number 10. 
Verse number 10 of uh, Acts chapter 9. It says, Now there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. The Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias, and he said, Here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, Rise and go to the street called Straight, and at the house of Judas, look for a man of Tarsus named Saul. For behold, he is praying, and he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias come in and lay his hands on him so that he might regain his sight. Now I want you to look at the response of Ananias. Lord, I've heard about this. Uh, I've heard from many about this man. How much evil he has done to your saints at Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priests to bind all who call on your name. Now I'm going to paraphrase. But Ananias is like, what? <laughs> You're expecting me to do what? You want me to put my hands where on this guy? Are you kidding me? Evidently, Ananias knew who this Saul was, and he knew why he was in town. The last thing that he wanted to be was the welcoming party for a hitman. He was comfortable gathering together to worship on Sunday, probably, if he's ordinary like me, and then maybe gathering together with his uh, city group on Thursdays and just kind of hanging out, not trying to stick out, just being an ordinary guy that doesn't want to stand out. What we see here is that Jesus was telling him to do something, something that was a little bit big. He probably felt like he was the most unlikely person to do this job that he was being asked to do. But his, his obedience shows us that he had a heart to obey, but it was mixed with just a little bit of fear. Have you ever felt like Ananias? Have you ever felt like God was telling you to do something that might be a little bit scary? Have you, ever, have you ever felt like maybe you were the least likely person to do what Jesus was asking you to do? I think we've all been there. We know that Jesus is calling us to do something pretty clear, right? I mean, one of the first things he told us before he left this earth was go and make disciples. And I feel like all of us really want to obey, but maybe it's mixed with just a little bit of fear. Maybe we feel unlikely. There's a desire to obey, but it's mixed with fear. So this reminds me of my friend named Julie. Um, Julie and Mike have been coming to City Light for quite some time. And uh, they jumped into a, a new city group that we started in West CB. And uh, we're sitting there in our city group one night just chatting, trying to figure out what it looks like for our city group to make disciples. And so uh, lots of ideas are being tossed around, and we're, we're just kind of chatting about it. And all of a sudden, Julie's like sitting off to about maybe 2 o'clock from where I'm sitting. And uh, she blurts out all of a sudden and says, guys, I just got to tell you, the thought of making disciples scares me to death. Kind of a revealing discussion, right? I think that what... Maybe if you questioned her, she might feel like she was unlikely to make disciples. That she, her and her husband Mike were probably some, some of the most unlikely candidates for this task. And the reality is, is I think Julie was expressing something that everyone in that room that night was feeling. How do we do this? How do we make disciples? 
I think we all had a desire to obey, but it was mixed with a little bit of fear. Maybe part of the fear that was in the room that night was that we all felt like we were unlikely candidates, unlikely players in this mission of making disciples. Ananias, now, he feared for his physical safety with Saul. Maybe, maybe we fear for our social safety. I mean, what's our friends and family? What's our neighbors going to think if uh, we bring up Jesus in a conversation? Maybe we fear for our job safety. What's the boss and what's our coworkers, what's our buddies at work going to think if they see us studying the Bible or reading the Bible at break time? Maybe we fear for our comfort safety. I mean, after all, if we get serious about making disciples, the last thing we're going to have time for is to sit underneath our warm little blankie watching those new episodes of our favorite shows in the fall time, right? Yeah, so maybe we fear for our comfort safety. We want to obey, but we also have some fears. I think that's what Ananias felt like. He had a desire to obey, but it was mixed with some fear. So what did he do? What do we find out that Ananias did? Look at verse 17. He got up and departed. He obeyed. He started by taking a step toward that house that Paul was staying in in Damascus. So let me ask you, what steps should you be taking? You know what Julie and Mike did? Um, they, along with other people in our city group, they connected us to different people in the community. And you know what we were able to do this last week? We were able to begin relationships with two different elementary schools that hopefully one day will lead to peop meeting people that don't know Jesus. And we'll be able to talk about Jesus with them. I don't know where it's going to go, but they took a step and they introduced us, and we now have a relationship with two different schools. What's your next step? For some, the idea of going to someone's house and hanging out with a group of people that you really don't know is a little bit scary. Maybe your next step is to talk with Jason, talk with me, talk with Ron, talk to someone that's in a city group and find out where a city group meets and go and hang out with that city group. Maybe the idea of hosting a city group is a little bit scary to you. I mean, after all... Uh, you might get your carpet dirtied up a little bit, right? Maybe maybe you have a lamp broken. I've never had like 25 kids in my house at one time. That might be a little bit scary for me. Maybe that's scary for you. Maybe your next step, instead of hosting one every single week, maybe your next step is going to be, uh, hey, you know what? I'm going to make my house available maybe once or twice a month or if somebody can't meet at the regular house. Maybe it's, I'll take a turn. Meet at my house once or twice a month. That'd be great. Maybe the idea of leading a city group is absolutely terrifying to you. Maybe your next step is just to participate more in discussion during city group. Maybe it's to take the, the lead role in like setting up meals or organizing some type of event. Whatever it is that Jesus is asking you to do, you may feel like an unlikely person that will make disciples, and it may be a little bit scary. But let me encourage you to take that step toward obedience. In doing that, you'll find that Jesus will use you to do something that is unexpected. Jesus uses the unlikely to do the unexpected. 
Now, the story continues with uh, Paul, and he continues to preach the gospel in Damascus and was probably there for maybe a few years, and he finds himself back in Jerusalem. The Bible tells us that the people that were back in Jerusalem didn't trust Paul. Look at verse number 26 of Acts chapter uh, chapter 9. And when he had come to Jerusalem, he attempted to join the disciples, and they were all afraid of him, for they did not believe that he was a disciple. Now, the last time that Paul was in Jerusalem, he was leaving with a fistful of warrants to go to Damascus to arrest a bunch of Jesus followers. So I, I think we can probably completely understand why it is that these, these Christians, these disciples that were back in Jerusalem didn't trust Paul. Paul was not going to be accepted by this crowd. Why should he? Why should he be accepted? He stood by without saying a word when they killed his, their friend, Stephen. That was on Paul. Look what happened. Look what happened. A guy named Barnabas, he stepped up and he says, hey, folks, it's all good. I know this cat named Paul, and what he's saying is legit. Now, I don't know that Paul, that, that Barnabas used those words. Like, he probably didn't say cat. He probably didn't say it's all good. But you guys get my point that Barnabas, he vouched for Paul. He vouched for who Paul was. Now, Barnabas' name, it literally means, like, um, like, to come alongside of. It means advocate. And it's the same word that Jesus used for the Holy Spirit in uh, John chapter 16, verse 7. He calls the Holy Spirit the helper. It's the same word that identifies Barnabas. Now, have you ever been in a position where you needed someone to vouch for you? Have you ever been in a position where you didn't have any, like, credibility and um, you didn't have anybody to come up to you and say, hey, this cat is legit. I think he's going to be okay. Um, I've been there. Now, I, I don't know if you guys know or not. You probably don't. Um, I am a high school football official for the state of Iowa. Now, uh, basically what that means is on Friday nights, I get to go out with a bunch of high school boys. And as a grown 46-year-old male, I get to be as close to football game as I possibly can be. Uh, I don't tackle anybody, but it's a blast when those guys come and brush my side, you know. And like last week, I was in Shenandoah, and uh, a big old guard from Carroll Kemper ended up knocking me on my tail. That was actually fun. I had a good time when those types of things happen. But I get to be a high school football official, and I get paid for it a little bit. But when you figure what the, uh, what the hourly rate is after all the time that you put into it and the equipment that you buy, you're probably making less than minimum wage. So it's not really something that you do because you're, uh, you're in it for the money. You do it because you love the game. You love to see kids battle it out on the field, right? So now when I did that, uh, I didn't uh, just show up at the field in Shenandoah or over in Red Oak or maybe even in Glenwood. I didn't just show up at the field and say, all right, guys, I love football. I want to let you know I can probably make better decisions than you, and uh, I, I want to be on your officiating crew. That's not how it works. No, there was a, a friend of mine. His name is Ryan, and several years ago we were talking about um, football in his living room. And we're just talking about our love for the game. And, and I'd like, I said, yeah, man, I'd love to, you know, you know, I, was a, I think I was 30-something then. And I said, uh, I'd love to just kind of be involved in the game somehow. And he goes, Chuck, 
He goes, I've got a guy I need to introduce you to. There's a guy who stepped up our game. He can probably make you a football assistant. I'm like, really? Let's do it. So we go across the street to his neighbor's house, and he introduces me to Chris, who's the guy who sets up all the games, and he kind of lays the path out for anybody who wants to be a football assistant. And, shoot. That doesn't happen very often, does it, guys? Anyway. And so he lays the path out what a football official looks like. And so he said, uh, he said, hey, Chris, this is Chuck. Chuck is my friend, and I think he's going to make a good football official. He, um, he didn't, he, he, he gave me some credibility. He vouched for me. I had immediate credibility because of my relationship with Ryan and with what Ryan told his neighbor. That's what Paul needed. He needed some credibility. And like Ryan did for me, Barnabas comes alongside Paul and he speaks up and he says, hey, this guy is legit. Listen to him. Now, why, why did Barnabas do that? How did Barnabas do that? I think it's because Barnabas himself, he already knew that Jesus used the unlikely to do the unexpected. You see, Barnabas was there when Peter healed the guy outside of the temple that was handicapped. Barnabas was there when he heard Stephen preach that message shortly before he got killed. Barnabas knew what it meant to, to, for Jesus to use the unlikely to do the unexpected. Barnabas was a wise man, and he watched the story of God unfold, and he took mental notes that Jesus uses the unlikely to do the unexpected. I believe that some of you in our church have the call of Barnabas on your life. You've been around long enough to know that Jesus uses the unlikely to do the unexpected. You've seen miracles happen. You've seen that unlikely person meet Jesus and become a leader. You know the pattern of Jesus to surprise us and to shock us. And if that's you, I want to invite you to be an advocate for our church. Now is not the time to sit back and just watch. Now is not the time to be cynical or to be critical. Now is the time for you to help us as a church trust Jesus to do the unexpected. Find a leader. Find a leader and tell him how you see Jesus working in you. Um, find a city group leader and tell them to never give up. Don't just watch the story, but help us tell the story by advocating for the next Saul, the next unlikely that Jesus will use to do the unexpected. You see, Jesus uses the unlikely to do the unexpected. I've got one point this morning. And that point is Jesus uses the unlikely to do the unexpected. So let's do a quick inventory this morning. Let's find out what's going on here in Acts chapter 9 up to this point. We've got drama and controversy. We've got persecution and doubt. There's a lack of trust, and there's a fear of imprisonment going on in this church. Now, how would you expect the church to act at this time? How would you act at this time if that was kind of the culture that was going on in that church uh, period? Well, I know how I would act. 
if that was kind of a culture that was going on in West PB where there's, like, I'm afraid I'm going to be put in prison if people find out I'm a Jesus follower, I may just say, all right, guys, let's not talk too much about why all those cars are lined up and down my street on Thursday night. I don't want them to find out that we've got a Bible study going on in here, right? Um, I may be encouraging my friends that when you're at the grocery store, you know what, be careful about talking about Jesus because that could get you into some trouble. Maybe there would be some constant anxiety about what's going to happen next or maybe when the next shoe is going to drop. Who's going to be the next person dragged out of their house and taken to prison? That's kind of what I would feel, but that's not what's going on here in in Acts chapter uh, 9. Look at verse number 31. This is amazing. Look at verse 31. Amidst all of this persecution that's going on, it says, So the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had what, church? Had peace and was what? Being built up. They were walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit. It multiplied. Jesus used the unlikely to do the unexpected. In an environment where most groups would probably fold like a wet taco, this church in Acts, it thrives. They have more peace than ever before. They walk in greater obedience than ever before. In the midst of all the drama and all the tragedy, they are comforted by the Holy Spirit more than ever. And against all odds, the church multiplies. Jesus uses the unlikely to do the unexpected. Now, City Light, I believe that Jesus is as alive today as he was in the book of Acts. And I think he wants to do a lot more things than what we're willing to see or receive. I think he has some surprises in store. And I think there are people in this room that right now, the last thing that was on your mind this morning when you walked through those doors was that that you're going to turn your life over to Jesus. But I think you will. I think there are people sitting here and you've been thinking about, you know clearly what that next step is that Jesus is asking you to do. And you're scared. But I think today might be the day that you take that step. There may be someone in this room right now, and you know, you know you need to come alongside someone. You know you need to encourage them and vouch for them and give them some credibility. And I think today may be the day that you do that. How do I know that? Because that's how Jesus was. Paul, this guy we just talked about, he, he gets put in prison, and he ends up writing this letter to uh, to the church in Rome. And uh, it, in Romans 5, he says this, For while we were still weak, at the time Christ died for the ungodly, for one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us, in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. You see, Jesus uses the unlikely to do the unexpected. He used the cruelest form of execution to provide forgiveness for those who least deserved it. You see, Jesus doesn't care about what you've done. You could be a murderer like Paul and still know that what Jesus did on the cross, he did it for you. 
You could, um, you could have some fears about what the next steps are in your relationship with him and what your journey might be, but have confidence that Jesus knows exactly what you're going through because he took the most difficult steps for you on his road to the cross when he died there for you. You might need someone to come alongside you right now because you feel like you have zero credibility in the group that you're running, in the crowd that you're running with. Can I just encourage you that if you're a follower of Jesus this morning, that he has given you a comforter. He's given you an advocate. He's given you somebody to vouch for you. And that somebody is the Holy Spirit. And he gives you credibility in front of God the Father because of what Jesus Christ did for you. Folks, Jesus uses the unlikely to do the unexpected. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Oh, Father, we are so grateful for what you do. We're thankful that you use the unlikely to do the unexpected. God, I pray this morning for, um, for that person who's sitting in this room right now, Lord. That's a, really the last thing they thought they were going to do today is turn their life over to you. God, I pray that they would make it public, Lord. I pray that they would make that decision right now, that they would trust you, that they would trust that what you did on the cross, you did it for them. And that, Father, they would make that known to someone soon today and that they would turn their life over to you and just say, I'm ready to follow Jesus, whatever it takes, whatever it is. I want to do that. And God, for that person in this room, Lord, who's trying to figure out uh, what the next steps are, or maybe they're a little bit scared about what those next steps might be, God, I ask, Lord, that you would give them Give them the confidence that you know how difficult those steps are. That you already took the steps for them. Father, would you give them courage to take those next steps? Um, God, for the person who may need somebody to come alongside them, would you comfort them with the Holy Spirit? Would you encourage their heart? Yeah, God, would you, uh, would you work this morning? We're thankful for, for what you're going to do. Father, we love you and we ask these things in your name.